You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Hi, my name is Dan Dick, and welcome to Church Matters. These words from Jesus come from John 12, verse 8. In the context of this verse, one can easily extend the meaning of the word poor to those who are oppressed, suppressed, and marginalized and vulnerable. Under those conditions, people almost always endure economic poverty. My guest today is Sarah Thompson. Sarah is the Executive Director of Christian Peacemaker Teams, or CPT. Founded by Mennonites, CPT has flourished into an ecumenical network seeking to undo oppression of all kinds. Using nonviolent means, CPT stands up for the voiceless. Palestine, Colombia, and Iraqi Kurdistan are just a few of the places CPT works. In recent years, CPT has also been standing up with Indigenous peoples in Canada. Welcome to Church Matters, Sarah. Thank you. It's great to be back. Speaking of being back, this is your second appearance on Church Matters, and I really should welcome you back. The last time we spoke on the program was 10 years ago, and now 2017 is our 10th anniversary. It's a bit of a celebration to have you with us. What have you been up to in the last 10 years? Well, it's great to be back with you after 10 years, and yes, a lot has changed and a lot has stayed the same, and I'm really, really grateful for those in the community who have entrusted me as a young adult to bring my full self and work with and for and through and despite and because of the church um, to be able to work on creative responses to some of the pressing issues in the world. You're in Winnipeg to accept an award from Canadian Mennonite University. Can you say a little bit about that? CMU has a PACS award that it gives to organizations that embody their mission statement of innovation in terms of paying attention to what is going on in the world and seeking to develop creative solutions that also recognize the gifts that we have from from the gospel to really show up and to recognize that though we still may have the poor with us, the poor are now voiceless, and they have something to say to us. And we should be so lucky to have uh, those who are marginalized in our midst because, as Jesus said, they, the least among you will be your leaders, and those of you who seek to be great need to serve. And so there is a really dynamic interaction. And the PAX Award recognizes organizations that have continued um, to work on these kind of issues over time. And CMU has over 30 people related to it that have participated with Christian Peacemaker teams and saw that CPT was a way for them to express their faith, to express their desire to make a difference um, in the world. And so we're really happy to be back to accept that award. Congratulations. Thanks. CPT works in some very conflict and risk-prone regions in the world. Can you share a short vignette of what a day in the life of a CPT worker might look like in a conflict zone and who they are helping? In thinking about this PAX Award, I thought to some of the founders of CPT and the work that they did. And if I think about a day in the life of a CPTer, it doesn't just start when they come onto a CPT project. For example, folks like Cliff and Arlene Kindy, who are rural farmers in Indiana, they caught the vision of CPT and realized that during a time when their farm did not need as much attention, that they could go and stand alongside rural farmers elsewhere, in Iraq, in Palestine, in Chiapas, in Haiti, and 
work alongside those farmers who were dealing with immense violence. Some of the violence that we see in the places where we work is the violence of an urban onslaught and like pushing out of people's ability to be subsistence farmers and to work with the land. And when we started, there were a number of people who were rural farmers who spent time with other rural farmers and tried to make sure that there was safety available to them. So, for example, in Iraqi Kurdistan, that's northern Iraq, Some of what the farmers are facing there is displacement from bombs that came across from Iran and from Turkey. And this was directed at Kurdish, and it was hitting a number of civilians. And in this this conflict, the civilians had to run, and they found themselves on the edge of, of urban places. But when it was time to harvest, or when it was time to plant seeds, especially when it was time to plant again, the villagers said, look, we have to go back to our land because if we don't, we're going to become urban poor and we, we belong in the mountains. We, we want to be back where our traditional land is. And so they asked CPT to accompany them in that. And so as international people, uh, we can bring visibility to the work that is already happening on the ground because people aren't voiceless. They are speaking up. But those of us from around the world need to amplify their voices. And so CPTers are people who are willing to be part of amplifying that. Um, They feel like there's good news coming uh, from people who are committed to living well and healthfully on their land. And so we both denounced the bombing. And so a CPTer in, in the morning might read the recent news. They will write a report based on it and also a report based on how local people are responding to that and the nonviolent actions that those local people are taking. So, for example, uh, when we accompany the farmers back, uh, we can let the world know that what they are saying is that, you know what, we have to go back to plant. Because if we don't plant, then we will have nothing to harvest. And if we have nothing to harvest, we are going to die. And so they're taking a chance in a very difficult situation where they they may die from a bomb, but they're going to go and make sure that they can plant and harvest. And so we go with them because if harm is going to be done to them, it's going to be done to us too. That's actually a way to interpret what Jesus said. The poor will always be with you. If you're so lucky, you should be with the poor, actually. We should be with them. We are them. And so and so we walk together towards towards their homes. And those journeys can take a full day or more. And so during that time, too, we also drink a lot of tea uh, with people and learn their stories. So it would be like a day in the life. Not all Christians are equally comfortable with what is often perceived as CPT's highly political work. Some view CPT's work as an undesirable kind of political interference, while others view it as necessary action. What insights do Jesus and the Gospels offer us in the midst of such tension? When people ask Jesus, what are you doing or what are you about? He didn't necessarily sit down and give them long explanations. He just said, come and see. And that's what I want to say to anyone who has a question about Christian Peacemaker Teams. Come and see. Come join a delegation and meet your neighbors from around the world. Meet people who have been called your enemies. Meet the poor. Hear what they have to say. Hear how they're working to make their lives the best that they can be. Hear how they're praying for you and thinking about you. When I say come and see, what I mean is that we have delegations that are two weeks long where you can come and visit the work of any Christian peacemaker team on the ground. And this will be led by someone who's trained and you will get to 
visit the partners, the peacemaking partners we work with. You'll get to see what a day in the life of a CPTer is, and you'll have time to participate in this, developing the spirituality necessary to be able to participate in this long haul struggle of, of discipleship in the world. And you'll have a great time meeting people, trying new foods, breathing new air, and just uh, finding out what might be possible beyond the confines of the media messages that we get. What we're inviting people to do is to bring their faith to the front lines. We are gifted with boldness and grace by the power of the Spirit. And for those who wish, we want to provide a forum for them to be able to express their faith and their hope and their desire for a world where human flourishing and the diversity of the human family is embraced. We want to provide a forum and a platform for those who are very active to be able to, to do that on a, in an international way. Also, the work is on the front lines of our hearts as well. Violence isn't just over there in Palestine and Israel. It's not just over there in Colombia, out there in Iraq, or what the West Papuans are dealing with, but violence and nonviolence run through the heart of us, of each one of us. And so by also looking at the ways in which the structures of, of racism and sexism and heterosexism have, have formed us to, to think in certain ways, in fact, ways that, that shut down the power of the gospel, uh, by having time to spend with those that society calls the others, the poor, the enemies, we can break down these systems that are also inside of our hearts by, by really learning and, and being a little bit outside of our comfort zone, perhaps. But that is where there is the most growth for discipleship. And I think it's uh, a really salvific act to be able uh, to work together um, with people towards loving your enemies you know, for the glory of God. Sarah, your friend Michael J. Sharp and a fellow Mennonite very recently died in the Congo while doing peace work with the United Nations. Can you share a little bit about Michael's story and how his work fundamentally aligns with what CPT workers do? Oh, MJ. He was a good friend of mine. We went to high school together, and we have kept in touch since then. Both of us share a deep passion for understanding where other people are coming from, and what are the ways to break cycles of violence. And MJ worked on this in a number of ways. And he first was with a German Mennonite Peace Committee in assisting U.S. soldiers who became conscientious objectors once they realized what they had been conscripted to do in Iraq and Afghanistan. And when they came to a realization that they no longer wanted to kill or be a part of that they sometimes had nowhere to go except that there was a hotline provided by the German Mennonite Peace Committee and others, and MJ would be on the other end of that line. He would assist them in being able to leave the military and follow their convictions not to kill. And he also did this to some extent in Congo as well. Before the UN, he was working with Mennonite Central Committee, which had a program that allowed those who were conscripted into rebel militia armies to be able to step out of those and return with some amnesty back to their villages or back to their home countries. And this was a part of really helping people see their own humanity and recognize that there is another way to live besides 
might makes right or just continuing to to kill until you can get your way. And MJ also spent some time with the CPT Palestine team uh, in the village of Atuani. And at this time, he would be walking with young students to and from school who would be threatened by Israeli settlers in nearby expanding colonies and settlements who would come out and taunt the children, sometimes throw rocks at them, sometimes chase them. And MJ would walk these children to school, but he also, to some extent, engaged with these settlers to de-escalate them and to try to find their humanity and to help them see what they were doing and step out of the cycles of violence. So he was always about, about that work. And when his work happened with the U.N., Um, He was often told that he needed to make lots of reports so that it would inform the military strategy of the UN. And and MJ, as a committed Mennonite and drawing from his CPT experience as well as his experience with German Mennonite Peace Committee, he would write reports in such a way that preserved the rebels' humanity and their self-understanding and didn't just give a carte blanche uh, to the UN army or other armies to, to eliminate them, but he would work in a way so as to reduce violence all around and find solutions that recognized that the poor will always be with us, that we're all in this together, that we can't just kill off people and think that violence will disappear, but that we have to look at the root causes of violence and see what we can do. And and that, I feel, is at, at the heart of the CPT spirit as well, and I feel like that's at the heart of Jesus Uh, Jesus, at every moment when he could have done violence to bring in the kingdom of God, he chose to heal. Like even when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and his ear was cut off by Malchus, um, he or or, well, when his disciple cut off the ear of Malchus, he said, what are you doing? Like, don't you know it's not going to come in through violence? And he, he chose to heal at every turn. And so that's the Savior that that I follow, one that at every turn tries to choose to heal and says, you know, if harm be done, let it be done to me rather than you. And so uh, MJ and many CPTers have really shown to me that there truly is a, a, a way uh, of creative peacemaking that really comes into full blossom when we're out there uh, on the front lines. I'm so sorry for the loss of your friend, Sarah. Thank you. It seems to me that in human history right up to this day, our culture celebrates and commemorates war veterans and those who die in battle. But we do not celebrate and commemorate peace veterans and those who die trying to build peace without arms. Am I alone in these thoughts? That's a great question. If I could look at it a different way, one thing I also notice is that sometimes... For fellow soldiers or soldiers' families, they're not necessarily allowed to grieve because the grief will expose that what's happening in terms of all this killing is is not normal. And sometimes soldiers' families will be told, well, he died for the national cause or she died uh, for a good cause. So just kind of soldier on, just push through. And one thing for peacemakers is that even if we're training as hard for peace as soldiers are training for war, when something happens to a peacemaker or a peacemaking partner in the field, we, we are permitted to take the time to grieve because we don't have to pretend that the world makes sense. 
Um, we are being faithful to what we're called to do and to what our hope is. But when people are, are killed for investigating human rights abuses, when people are um, senselessly murdered, when there's instances of domestic violence even within our, within our peace community, we don't have to try to fit it into some neat narrative. We can just grieve. And so uh, during this time, uh, after we learned of MJ's death, many of us have been gathering online or in person to sit and grieve. And we grieve him, his loss, as well as his colleague, Zayda Catalan, and those who are yet unnamed that we don't know because they were on their way to identify and document mass graves. And 10 million Congolese have been killed in the last 20 years, and we don't know a lot of their names, but we are complicit to some extent in their death because a lot of the death is resulting from um, global dependence on certain minerals that are in Congo for increasing technological gadgets, everything from our phones to our laptops to other things. And we don't know the names of the people who are dying because of this or the people who are assembling these phones and everything like that. And so, and so taking time to grieve on the regular is important. And then once we take time to grieve, there also is time for celebration, I think. Celebrating every time someone decides to put a gun down. Celebrating every time someone leans into a, a conflict that they might otherwise walk away from, but when they lean into it, they're able to resolve it in a creative way. There are so many celebrations that, that come in this peacemaking work. So uh, I think it would be important for society to begin to celebrate um, peacemakers but in many ways, if it began to celebrate peacemakers, there may be no soldiers left <laughs> because people would see that there's deep alternatives. And to some extent, our, our nation states are invested in a might-makes-right paradigm, and the war business is business. And so there are a number of people invested in selling weapons and engineering new ways to kill one another. But I would, I would ask the question, you know, what, what if we uh, invested as much in nonviolent and creative experiments as we do in violent and destructive ones, then I do think we would see a lot more uh, celebration all around. Christians are often asked to pray for peace, and on the surface that sometimes feels trite and cliche. What is the best way our listeners can pray for peace and the ministry of CPT? Well, if prayer influences your thoughts and your thoughts influence your actions and your actions influence your money, and your money influences where you put your time, and where you put your time influences your community, then I would say, yes, pray for peace. Because prayer then can orient your whole life to prioritize that which is most important and precious to you. And as you pray, you'll be in touch with God who knows and hears and feels and struggles alongside us in bringing about the kingdom of God and deep reconciliation. So I would ask for prayers for our teams as they do the daily work of building partnerships to transform violence and oppression. Now I invite you to invest in these deep alternatives to the war machine and to give your time to, to reading and to conversing uh, with those who may think differently than you and, and seeing how we can together find ways to, to open our hearts even more 
to asylum seekers, to refugees, to indigenous peoples, um, to the stories of the Mennonites, to many, many uh, different people. Our heart can hold so much, and prayer helps to expand our heart and to be aligned with the heart of God, which is for all of us. So you can catch up with, with folks within your area. We have and are beginning to create more regional groups across Canada where people can come together to support the work of CPT, to learn about it, to see how CPT can resource your own peacemaking uh, work and on your own front lines of your community, of your family. Um, and you can contact Rochelle Friesen in the office in Toronto. So we can, we can be in touch uh, about the ways that your prayers lead you to show up at this time because we really need each and every one of you. So CPT does a lot of work globally. Uh, what about here in North America and even here in Canada? The Indigenous People Solidarity Team of Christian Peacemaker Teams is really excited to participate in the pilgrimage that you all did an episode on already. Pilgrimage for Indigenous Rights? Yes, and that will go across southern Ontario, and we will participate together looking at the results of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And that's a great way for people to pray with their feet or pray with their wheels if you're in a wheelchair and to come out and show your support for this moment of reconciliation as really a manifestation of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God in a way that we can learn to see one another in new ways and to see and learn from this land that we live on and with. And that type of repair work um, we also have international observers that, that look at what's happening here in Canada and the United States. It's not that North American people just go elsewhere, but we are very much in community with the globe in learning out how we can better support one another um, in this long-haul struggle for justice and the glory of God. Sarah, thank you so much for coming in to speak with me today. I hope it doesn't take another 10 years for us to chat. <laughs> Sounds great. If you'd like to know more about CPT, visit www.cpt.org or Google Christians in Politics at Mennonite Church Canada's online resource centre at commonword.ca. You're invited to join me again in just four weeks for another episode of Church Matters. We're here for you at 8.45 a.m. on the third Sunday of every month. We'd love to hear from our listeners, whether it's email, phone, or snail mail. Tell us what's on your mind. Call us at 1-866-888-6795, email us at churchmatters at mennonitechurch.ca, or snail mail us at 600 Shaftesbury Boulevard, Winnipeg, Manitoba, R3P0M4. This program and the ministries of Mennonite Church Canada rely on your gifts. Please give generously via mennonitechurch.ca. I'm your host, Dan Dick. Know that you are called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Thanks for listening. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way.